All right, so it's Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone pumped for uh, turkey? Or had turkey yesterday and feeling not pumped because they've had too much turkey yesterday? It's time to be thankful, isn't it? But do you always find it easy to be thankful? Does thankful come naturally to you? Generally speaking, I find it hard to live a life of thankfulness. You know, thankfulness means I have to admit that there's things I can't do on my own. We can be proud people, can't we? we, we we're kind of taught to be self-reliant from birth. I find often someone offers to do something for me or help me, I'm like, no, 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 I've got it, right? Even though I probably could use the help. But when we're kids, we kind of want to do things on our own, right? We try to help our kids learn how to do something like, no, I can do it on my own. And, uh, and we kind of just grow up like that, feeling like we have to be able to do it on our own. And because of that, we kind of develop pride in our lives, within, which then makes it hard for us to live lives of thankfulness. Because if, we're, if we find it hard to receive grace or help, it's then hard to be thankful as well. Our, our culture highlights people and loves to highlight people who are self-reliant. This morning we're looking at Psalm 100, and it's already been read for us. It's a short psalm, but it reminds us that as God's people, we need to be thankful. We're supposed to be thankful, and we have much reason to be thankful for. My hope that for this morning is that you'd come away just with a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to God, and that we'd be able to come together to the Lord's table with a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done for us. So let's look together at Psalm 100, just five short verses this morning. It starts off, shout for joy. And Lee, you were right when you, when you called us out on that. We were kind of like, yeah, shout for joy. <laughs> no, this, there's nothing kind of like golf clappy about this call. This is shout for joy. The Lord is good, all the earth. This is the type of worship, this is what we should have coming before the Lord. Is there's nothing polite about this shout for joy. We like to come to church, we're all kind of dressed up nice. Why would we shout? That's so uncouth, right? But no, we're supposed to shout for joy. The psalm is calling us to be grateful, thankful for the Lord. We have reason of all people on earth to shout for joy. Think of something that causes you to shout for joy. For me, it's, I'm thinking about being like at a, at a sports game with my favorite team. I was not shouting for joy yesterday when the Jays just, oh, the bullpen just let that game get away. I was not shouting for joy. But generally speaking, it's kind of sports. I'm at Scotiabank Arena cheering on the Leafs. The Leafs score, and I'm like high-fiving random strangers. It's like just, I've kind of let myself go in that moment. This is what the psalmist is calling us to do before the Lord. Just kind of let yourself go before the Lord. Enjoy him. Shout for joy. All of the earth. All of the earth. There's a call here that our God is not just a God for the people sitting in this room or the people that look like you and I. There's a reminder and a challenge with this call to shout for joy all the earth. The reminder is our God is a global God. Our God is not just for people who have grown up knowing about the gospel, but our, our God is a God for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. There is joy for people in all of the earth as a result of what God has done. 
But there's also then a challenge for us too, isn't there? If when people who are not familiar with God come into our worship service, do they see a people who shout for joy? Do they see a people who are truly enamored by the God they claim to love? Or do they see a people who are kind of just indifferent to the God they claim to love and serve and worship with thanksgiving? Is there anything special about when God's people come together on a Sunday morning and worship the God who is worthy of all praise? Is there something special that happens in the room that people, whether they know that God or not, know there is something different Do we authentically shout for joy before our God? It goes on in verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. This is kind of just picking up on the, from verse 1. It's interesting. If you have the NIV, it probably says worship the Lord with gladness. If you have an ESV or King James, it actually says serve the Lord with gladness. You could say this Hebrew word is best described as kind of a melding together of the word worship and serve and putting it together. We don't have a single word in the English language for this. And so that's why some translations render it worship, some serve. But basically, here's what it means. Our, our worship, it's a service to God. It's part of what serving God looks like, authentically worshiping him. And our worship, then, is also what service looks like. This means your worship, it's not confined to the 90 minutes you spend here on a Sunday morning and then worship ends, and then you enter the rest of your life. Worship is something that we do all the time before the Lord. Worship is service, and service is worship before God. And how are we supposed to do this? Indifferently? Worship the Lord, serve the Lord with indifference? Is that what it says? No, worship and serve with gladness. Can I see some smiles on the faces of the people out here? Worship the Lord with gladness. I think as Christians, we're supposed to serve and obey. That's obvious. But is it obvious that we're supposed to do it with gladness? Is that part of what we assume service is? There's a type of service this means that, that God doesn't like. That's the service and the worship that comes with murmuring, with glum faces, says we're supposed to do it with gladness, not just to serve, not just to worship, but do it with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. The third command here in verses one and two is a command to come before him in joyful song. Coming to him means that there's a relational aspect to this. It means there's someone that we can come to. Our God's not just an inanimate, inanimate object. Our God's not just this mystical force that we kind of worship. Our God has personality. Our God is a person that we come to as part of worship. If you've ever wondered, how can I get closer to God? Has anyone ever wondered that? How can I get closer to God? Well, the psalm answers the question here. We come closer to him. We come to him as we joyfully sing to him. One of the things I really love and I'm spurred on by is worshiping God through song with you all. This gives life to my spiritual life, being with you, worshiping God together. 
I hope that for all of us, we experience that when we come together on Sunday morning. It shouldn't be a ritual. It should be something that actually fuels us, brings us delight, fuels us for the rest of the week. I remember there was a time in my Christian life years ago where, where I didn't actually feel comfortable worshiping joyfully or worshiping with emotion. See, I thought if I did that, it would take away from the seriousness of what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be worshiping the Lord. This is serious business. So I shouldn't do that with emotion or a a smile or raising my hand or anything like that. Do any of you wrestle with that? Feel like you got to be serious before the Lord? Not just let it out there before him, as the psalm says. I would also second-guess myself in worship. I'd be wondering, if I'm lifting my hand in worship, is it just because the drummer's just really going hard and he's trying to drive up emotion for me? Is that wrong, then? Anyone wrestle with that, feeling like, oh, is this legit emotion or is this just fake emotion? But then I came to a point where I saw that so long as the lyrics are rich and biblical, and the songs that we sing here at West Highland are rich and are biblical, then it's actually good that the worship team up here is driving me to be emotional. Because if I'm supposed to be emotional with anything, it's supposed to be about the living God that I've been called to worship before. It would actually be wrong for them to play it quietly. Is that what the psalm says? Play it quietly before the Lord with no joy? That's the exact opposite. So it's a very good thing. As I'm sitting there worshiping, if a song resonates with me, I want to lift my hand in worship. Singing's just not enough. Sometimes I want to just respond before the Lord. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And my hands are part of that worship. And sometimes it's because we're singing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. It's like, yes, that's what I was made to do. Of course, I got to raise my hand. So just enough to sing this i got to worship him with everything that I have. This is what this psalm is calling us to do. We are supposed to do that. And sometimes we feel like we shouldn't because it's a sign of immaturity or spiritual shallowness if I worship like that. Church, I want to see you just have the joy of the Lord fully in worship. This is what we were called to do. Some churches, you could say, sure, they go too far one way, way too emotional. But if, if West Highland has a sin before the Lord in worship, it's that probably we're not responding enough in worship to the God that we serve. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to do that, then we're, we're, but, but I'm just saying, if you felt in worship that sometimes, you know what, I just, I need to get into it more. I'm just giving you freedom. Just do it before the Lord. It's amazing. It brings me so much joy, and it's, it would be my desire that more and more people at West Highland would experience this worshiping the Lord with gladness and with thanksgiving. Amen. Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to him with ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Music helps us with the th- with give emotion to the theological truths that we agree with. You know, I've, uh, actually, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> you know, when I'm playing the bass sometimes, you know, I, I want to I wanna get into it more. You know, Lee's never put a microphone in front of me when I've uh, 
played the bass. I don't blame them because we don't really want to amplify my voice necessarily before the church, but it just doesn't stop me from just worshiping the Lord. Sing to the Lord with shout to the joy, shout to the with joy to the Lord. Worship Him with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And then in verse three it says, "Know that the Lord is God." We need to acknowledge the Lord for who He is. Having a right view of God is foundational to our spiritual lives. Knowing and understanding God rightly is key for building spiritual health in our lives. Knowing the Lord means that we know that the God, the Lord of the Bible, is the one true God. When we're worshiping God, we're not just worshiping any God of our own choosing. We are worshiping the God of the Bible. We need to know that God. He's the one who made us, this psalm says. We didn't arrive here where we are. We weren't created by a cosmic accident. We were created with intention and purpose. And because he made us, we are his, this psalm says. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This means that he protects us. This means that he provides for us. He delivers us from those that would seek to bring us harm. So it's important to have a right view of God. Knowing and acknowledging the Lord for who he is, it's foundational for a life of worship and thanks, thank, thankfulness. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says this is the opening line of the book. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The way we view God shapes everything about us. If we see God as a God who's harsh, a God who's angry, a God who's vindictive, it would be very hard for us to worship him and serve him with gladness. But if we truly know who God is, we will serve him with gladness. It will fuel our worship. This is why those that, who are the most theologically astute in our church should also be the most passionate worshipers. The more we truly know God, the more reason we have to worship him. If you study your Bible and your study of the Bible is not leading you to worship, you're doing it wrong. Theology must always end in doxology. Our knowledge of God should lead us to worship. Sam Storms, he's a pastor and author as well. He's a council member of the Gospel Coalition in the United States. He says this concerning the idea of theology and worship. He says, the ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship. If our learning and knowledge of God do not lead to the joyful praise of God, we have failed. We learn only that we might laud or praise, which is to say that theology without doxology is idolatry. The only theology we're studying is a theology that can be sung. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge but worship. Let that sink in for a moment. The ultimate goal of all of your Bible study, all of your theology, isn't knowledge, 
but it's worship. If Christianity is just about passing some sort of knowledge test, it's no different than high school calculus, where we just try to cram in whatever we can so we can write it off on a page so that we feel like we've passed some sort of test, but it makes no use in our life. Christianity is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a living God, a personal God who loves us. We often assume that musical worship in our Sunday morning service is to prepare our hearts for the sermon. But perhaps just as true as that is that the point of the sermon is to lead us to worship. The point of the sermon isn't just for more knowledge. The point of the sermon is to drive us in worship, responding in musical worship, but also then responding Monday to Saturday with the rest of our lives, serving the Lord with gladness. This is fuel for your worship during the week. There's a lot of people who know a lot about God. There's a lot of, a lot of people who know much more about the Bible than most of us, but who, who don't know God in that personal way. You know, I took some religious studies classes at York University in my undergrad. There were profs there who had studied the Bible longer than I had been alive. They had no clue about living a life of worship. They could tell you more about the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, tell you where perhaps it was written, how it was founded, who the original audience was intended to do. They know more than all of us, but they don't know God. It's not just about knowledge, it's about worship. Everything we read, everything we sing is supposed to drive us to worshiping God. For those profs, God is just a concept to be considered. That's not what the psalmist means when he says, know that the Lord is God. The point for us today then is not just to know more academically about the Lord, but to know the Lord in a relational way that leads to worship in all areas of our lives. So this psalm starts off by challenging us to worship the Lord with gladness. It challenges us to acknowledge God for who he truly is. And then thirdly, I think it, it, it calls us to give thanks to the Lord. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise to his name. There's a simplicity to this invitation that might conceal the wonder of it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Whose gates are we being called into? The Lord. The God of this universe. The one who spoke and creation came into existence. You are welcomed into his personal residence to enter through the gates with thanksgiving. This is something we've just gotten so used to. You're invited in to the Holy One's personal residence, his home. I was, uh, in August, I got the chance to travel with my dad and with uh, my oldest son, Noah, to England. And I think there's a picture of us, that, that's uh, just me and Noah. Um, you recognize where we were? Buckingham Palace. It was an amazing three-generation trip where we just got to create so many memories. One of the highlights was going to Buckingham Palace and uh, seeing the residents of, uh, the, the London residents of the Queen. She was still with us at this time. Little did I know, about a month later, she would pass. 
Um, but at that point, she was up in Scotland. It was amazing to be there. But you can see kind of in the background those gates. And if you go to the next slide, I took a picture a bit closer. They're magnificent gates. Part of the purpose of them is for us to look at them and say, oh, this is beautiful, amazing. But it also serves another purpose. And you know what that is? <laughs> to keep me out, <laughs> right? To keep everyone out. It doesn't have the sign of Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter the gates with thanksgiving in your heart and the courts with praise. Those gates say, stay out. And this is just, you know, for a king or queen, a human king or queen whose role now is mostly ceremonial. But there's armed guards there keeping you out. There's gates keeping you out. This isn't the God that we serve he says, enter the gates with thanksgiving. Enter the courts with praise. There's a welcome. When you think of this, it's actually quite extraordinary that we are welcomed in to God's personal abode. So we're called to, to enter with thanksgiving. And I think it, it's, straight, it's quite straightforward in many ways. Especially on Thanksgiving weekend, we're kind of thinking more about thanksgiving. But what about for those of us sitting here this morning who... who aren't feeling very thankful or feel like they can't feel very thankful today. We all go through seasons of life where we, what we are, we feel like we're not experiencing the blessings of God. In many ways, life isn't exactly as we desired it to be, is it? What do we do then? This is when I think what the Bible calls us to do is in Hebrews 13, 15. It says that we're supposed to offer a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice, it's something that costs us something. Thanksgiving in good times, it's simply just responding to the goodness of God. That's, it's not a sacrifice at those times. But to honor God during a time of hardship or a time of suffering or a time when things aren't going as you wish they were, that offering is actually far more valuable. It's not hypocritical to offer a sacrifice of praise because your gratitude is based on the character of God. You are coming before the Lord in those difficult times and saying, God, I know who you are. I know your character. And even though it's not working out exactly as I would have wanted it to, even though your blessings aren't coming on my timeline, I'm coming before you and I'm offering a sacrifice of praise. Our God is one that can be served and praised during the good times and also during the difficult times because of who he is, because of his character, and because of the promises that he has made to us. When the Apostle Paul was in prison, he wrote to the Philippians. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Paul never, he never made it out of prison alive. But his praise wasn't dependent on his circumstances. It was on the character of God. It's possible to praise God even in the valleys of life. And so two practical things I want you to consider if you're having a hard time praising now. But this goes for all of us. Number one, remember the good that God has done in your life. Isaiah 46.9 says, Remember the former things of old. 
For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. It's when we forget the goodness of God that we're tempted to believe the lies of the evil one. That's when we're tempted to feel abandoned, when we've forgotten the goodness of God in our life. That's why it's so important even for us to just look at these tubes here. Just think of all the answers of prayer our God has given. Each one of those individual slips represents an answer to prayer from someone in our church. What an encouragement for us when we're going through the valleys to know that our God is still good. We need to remember the good that God has done in our lives. And secondly, we need to remember the goodness of God offered to us in the gospel. And we see this in verse 5 of Psalm 100. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. One of the most important single words in all of the Bible is hidden in this verse. Do you know which one I'm talking about? If you have the NIV, it's his love. I guess it's not hidden on the screen because I've underlined it. (laughs) It's his love. If you have the ESV, his steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word hesed. It means covenant love. It means that God isn't, doesn't have a contractual agreement with you to offer you love when you measure up. Like you think of the contracts that we have in life. You might have one with a landscaping company. You've paid them a certain amount so that on certain times of the month or days of the week, they're going to come, they're going to cut your grass, they're going to um, you know, cut the hedges and, and put down seed and all that sort of stuff. They're going to rake the leaves. And when they do that, you're happy to pay them. They've done their part, and now you do your part by paying. It works out all good. But what happens when one of the two sides don't hold up their end of the bargain? What if you don't pay? Are they going to keep coming back? No. But what happens if they don't come and and do the landscaping work? Are you going to continue to pay them? Well, no. That's a contract. It's when both sides hold up their end of the deal, the relationship works well. Aren't you glad that this isn't the kind of love that God has for you? He's not in a contractual agreement with you? No, our God has a covenant love for you. The covenant says, it's not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on me. My love is based on who I am, my character towards you. I am love, God says. And so he looks upon you in this covenantal love You know, the people in Psalm 100, verse 5, they don't sing, we are good, and because we are good, his love endures forever. No, what do they sing? For the Lord is good, and it's because of the Lord's goodness, his love endures forever. God's covenant love toward us is not based on our goodness. It's based on God's goodness and his character. And this is what we remember as we come to the table this morning? What is the single most clearest way that God has shown his covenantal love toward you? This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood that was poured out for you. He demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
It wasn't when we got our act together, Christ died for us. No. So while we were still sinners, we were still wandering, we still feel that, we're still prone to wander, his love is still spread out on the table for you every time we gather together because of his character and his goodness. Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to give his body and blood for you on the cross. He took that sin, he took that unthankful heart, he took your pride and he bore it on himself, went to the cross and paid that penalty so that there's nothing standing in the way between you and the Heavenly Father. There's nothing standing in the way for you to come to the table this morning for those that have had faith and received the gift that he has offered to us. In Christ, sin has been defeated. Our lack of thankfulness has been forgiven. God looks on us as if we've perfectly obeyed every command in the Bible because Jesus did that on our behalf. None of us have it all together. If we think we have it all together, we deceive ourselves. But thanks be to God because he's the one that has it all together on our behalf. Jesus has it all together and he holds us now all together. So how do we experience thankfulness to God even in the hardness of times? We celebrate and we remember the gospel. We have so much to be thankful for, but the greatest blessing of all for each and every one of us is the blessing that comes to us at the table, the blessing of the gospel. He is worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship with gladness. He is worthy for us to come before him with joyful songs. He is God. He has made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. We give thanks to him. We praise his name forever for he is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come for us, that you have showed us that steadfast love, that covenantal love. God, if it was based on our own goodness, we would be lost. We're thankful that we're, we are thankful that you are so good for, to us. We thank you that even though our sins are so many, your mercy is more. And so, Lord, we praise you this morning with thanksgiving. We worship you, we serve you, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And Jesus, we just want to live now to praise your name. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip us all for doing his will, and may he work in us that which is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.